Hello, everyone. Before we get to our sketch and episode on This is Spinal Tap with guest Adam Bash, here's a quick list of the next few episodes and next few guests. September 27th, 2017. Arrested Development featuring Sacred Cows player Nika Howard of the Academy Award-winning Drunks and Dragons podcast. On October 25th, 2017, we'll be doing The Matrix, but will it be the trilogy or will we just talk about the first movie? I guess you'll have to wait and see. On November 29th, 2017, we'll be doing Pulp Fiction with Fred Greenleaf and Sacred Cows player Matthew Morris. On December 27th, 2017, we'll do... An undetermined movie with a holiday theme, so we haven't figured that out yet. If you have a suggestion, please feel free to send it to us via our Twitter or sacredcows at herooftheweb.com. Finally, January 2018th will be a bonus month as we'll bring you two episodes. On January 17th, 2018, we'll bring you Star Wars The Last Jedi, and as usual, that will be a panel episode with guests yet to be announced, so stay tuned for that. On January 31st, 2018, we'll give you the 2017 Movie Year in Review and the 2018 Year in Review in Advance episode. We know that you guys really love those, so that's what we'll do. And that's all the further we've got to get to you for now, but rest assured, we have some more cool things on the horizon. So without further ado, let's get to our episode, This is Spinal Tap, with Adam Bash of Sayer and Brute Force Podcasts. Enjoy! Long before they were the Sacred Cows Tonight Band, Percival Weathercock, Harold Tosser, and Figsworth Flatbottom took the music world by storm as the hard-rocking supergroup Local Anesthetic. In 2017, decades after the star of their global fame had gone down in flames, Percy, Harry, and Figgy have decided to retrieve the old act for one final reunion tour. And now, a look inside the studio as they prepare for their first local anesthetic recording in years. Hey, Percy, how you doing, buddy? I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing quite well actually. Um, it's, it feels like it's been years since we've worked together. It's, it's kind of exciting, really. Well, I mean, Back up to on be stage. fair, we are together every month as Sacred Cows Tonight Band. Yeah, but, yeah, I mean, but that's, that's just a, yeah, it's just our day. <laughs> well, you know, it is like a different us. You know, like the old us getting together here tonight. Well, it's like it's like sometimes sometimes you look at yourself in a mirror and you don't know for certain if you're the one in the mirror or if the mirror is the real one. And that's kind of like what we've got going on tonight. For, I mean, just, that's where I'm coming from. Well, that's beautiful. I don't think you've lost your touch for lyrics at all, sir. I don't know why I was I was chosen to be the bassist, actually, because I, I would like to do a little bit of lyric writing, if that's at all an option for us on the new record. I mean, it is, but it's probably not for bassists, I think. Oh, my. Well, okay. Well, n- next time, certainly. Well, why don't we revive our old habits here, chums, with a little uh, song uh, of sorts from our back catalogue. What would you like to revive at this point? What about Huckleberry Finn? Well, I don't think we should be doing Huckleberry Finn. We got sued for that one, if I remember correctly. Rush did not like that. No. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Rush took us to the cleaners pretty bad on that one. Uh, What about the old gem, uh, uh, Big Breasts and all the rest? Uh, Mm. I mean, I've never been quite fond of that one, really. If, if If you... uh, it was written as a as an ode to 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 fried chicken, and I feel yes. like the the like the really 
deep core of that song has been perverted somewhat in the uh, you know in the years since. It, I believe they actually nailed us for uh, misogyny on that one, which was confusing. I don't. To me. I don't even understand how it how it's stuck in court. I mean, no one has ever been successfully sued since for misogyny. But it, you know, for us, I guess the rules are different, right? We, we couldn't even use the KFC defense. Well, I, I think actually KFC sued us as well. What about the one where we play "God Save the Queen" backwards? That was that's a beautiful one. Uh, well, uh, I think you'll recall that we've actually been uh, uh, banned from the Royal Albert Hall oh, in right. perpetuity on mm. that one. Bit of a shame. I mean, I guess we'll have to play it somewhere else. So, how about two in the loo? Oh, two in the loo. Uh, that one's that one's rubbish. Why you you just want to play all the rubbish songs? There's some beautiful anthems that we recreated, like some real rock and roll uh, memorabilia that 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 hangs in the air around us. That you know, and you want to play two in the loo? It doesn't. It, <laughs> Well, if you if you believe all the critics, they're all rubbish songs. At least the ones you wrote. No, that is what they say about us, indeed. Well, the one you wrote, Squids in the Veggie Patch, that was an affront to the music world. I mean, it I, was... Oh, I take offense to that. I, I found it quite meaningful in, in so many levels, you know, uh, uh, indirectly meaningful, uh, abstractly. What about my old lady, your old lady? Oh, my old lady, your lady. You know, you guys just want to play all of the rubbish, you know? I, I, I take back what I said before. I feel like we're, we're all losing our artistic touch here. Well, I would like for you to know that last week I was at the at the zoo here in town, and I was teaching an elephant to paint. And let me tell you the majesty of the elephant. If you think that that uh, does not require artistic vision, then I, I, frankly, I don't, I don't know what to say to you anymore. Perhaps that... You you maybe never had had the vision in in your own mind, uh, and and that's perhaps why we, you know we broke up in the first place. You know why we why we haven't done this tour for so long. Well, you know what? I don't exactly know what to say to that, but I can tell you at least I haven't been up to my asshole in mud on a worm farm all these years, Harry. It's a Nightcrawler Ranch, and last month it was profitable. <sighs> I'll tell you what, I think maybe Percy was right. Uh, we're so good at breaking up, and we can't even agree on anything right now at our reunion. We may as well just do the same right now. Call it quit. Guys, guys! Stop fighting and listen. I'm supposed to tell you some good news, which I hate doing. Oh, oh yeah? What? What was it then? Figure he is moving to Antarctica. Psh, you're moving to whatever. Okay, shut up. Just shut up. I'm here to tell you that you've charted. One of your songs has actually charted. We've charted. We've charted. That's a that's a that's a hot chur, right? It's not a shirt, it's a chur. Charted that's that's great. Yeah, it's in Bulgaria. <laughs> Sorry. What you mean like the Bulgaria? Yep. You're on the children's top one hundred chart in Bulgaria. What the fuck would we be doing on a children's chart in Bulgaria? Well, ho- hold on, Harry. Remember that night we got wicked drunk and, on, and wrote that little, you know, children-esque song? Oh, you mean kids don't bring your vodka to school? Yeah, that's the one. Huge in Bulgaria. Huh. Well, I mean, I've always sort of been Bulgaria curious, I think. Me either. I, I mean, me too. Uh, only one thing thought, then. Yeah. Okay, see ya. Here we go. Yep. Pack it up, Hold boys. On. Hey, where are you going? Well, isn't it obvious? We've got to go get ready for the Bulgarian tour. Oh, no. Not yet. You've got work to do. 
before you run off to reinvent yourselves as the third-rate Bulgarian Wiggles, you have to do the opening song. You're still the Sacred Cows Tonight band, goddammit. You know he's right. No, we don't have to put up with this. We're artists. Yeah, disembodied voice ponce. We quit the stupid band. Well, I'm going to tell you something that people are always telling me. You were under contract. Damn, it feels good to be on the giving end of that statement for once. Now put down those flying V guitars and grab your jazz instruments. And that is not a euphemism. It's Sacred Cows Tonight time. All right, all right. A one, two, three, four. It's Sacred Cows Tonight with your hosts, Mike and Pete, featuring Disembodied Voice Guy, with special guest, Adam Bash, featuring the Sacred Cows Tonight band. And now welcome your hosts, Mike and Pete. Thanks, Thanks Disembodied Voice Guy. Say, Disembodied Voice Guy? Yes, Pete. I mean, Adam. It was really good to finally see you in person at GeeklyCon this year. You saw me? Well, met you, saw you. It's, it's just a figure of speech. Am I actually becoming visible? That's weird. And awesome. Hey, Disembodied Voice Guy, I think Adam just meant... Silence! If I'm starting to become corporeal, I need to think about what it means for my future. It goes without saying that I'll be quitting this podcast. I'll be real, and I'll be spectacular. Finally, mankind will be able to look upon the face of evil and see something. I'll be... Full-bodied voice guy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that definitely sounds like a horror-filled reality, but... Unfortunately, the fact is, I didn't see you at GeeklyCon. Nobody saw you. You're still disembodied. Really? Well, that's what I get for getting my hopes up. Another crushed dream. Another broken promise of enslaving the entire Earth under one sadistic but visible despot. Well, come on now. It's not all that bad. You should really look on the bright side. Oh, yeah? And what's that? Uh, you still got the same great voice for podcasting. Fuck you guys. Goodbye forever. He's really been saying that a lot lately. Welcome to the Sacred Cows Podcast. With me, I've got Pete. Hey there, guys. And our special guest, Adam Bash. That's me. And we're here to talk to you about the 1984 movie, This is Spinal Tap. But first... We need to catch up with our guests. So, Adam, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing good. I'm doing good and well. Good. Nice to see you so soon again after the con. Yeah, it was good. I, I, it was nice to... to I, I had a handful of people that I had not met before the con. Pete was one of those people. So it was nice to at least have a few minutes to talk with you, Pete. And then For sure. Mike and I have met plenty of times in the past at past Geekly Cons. But it's always good to hang out with Mike. So. Well, thank you. Totally. Yeah. And we, we finally bullied Pete into getting a Twitter account, which we'll reveal at the end of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. Take, take, that, take that to heart, children. Bullying works. Yeah, <laughs> you never thought you'd see the day. Just think about how impressive this moment really is. 
it's not that impressive honestly all right so <laughs> for me it was a tuesday <laughs> yeah oh sorry few uh, of you were surprised so adam um since it's been a while since you've been on why don't you tell us what you've been up to and what you're currently working on uh in the wide world um uh, okay so i do a couple of podcasts um I do. So I do a, a podcast that's a real play RPG podcast called Brute Force with a handful of my friends. And it's on the Geekly Inc. network. Um, and we play a refluffed version of World of Darkness. Uh, but we play it like instead of a vampires and werewolves type game, we play it like a, a fantasy style game, kind of more akin to D&D. And it's called Brute Force because the whole cast of characters are all uh, monstrous characters. We've got like a skeleton and a yeti and a harpy and a... Uh, a golem and they all set off to save the world. Uh, so that's one of the, one of the things I'm doing. And then, uh, the other thing is my narrative fiction podcast, uh, called Sayer. Uh, we're doing a fourth season of, so that's what I'm in the middle of right now, uh, as well. And I got another one that might release sometime soonish called mythos, which is a podcast I haven't really even really described too awful much, but it's with, um, Veronica from Cthulhu and Friends and Phil Canada and uh, Ben Stonick's on there. And so it's an exciting one. It's another actual play podcast where I get to play instead of having to DM. So oh, Very nice. You can't tell us anything about that yet, huh? Like a release date? Uh, I, I, I'll tell you, the, uh, tell you what. I will reach into my brain and tell you the exact release date that is in there. I don't fucking know. I'm not in charge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Oh well, I can't find that on my calendar, but yeah, right on. <laughs> I think it's uh, well, I, I think I, it's the month after September is the I don't fucking know month. Hmm. <laughs> well, the two podcasts that are out, they're excellent. I've been listening, and I think they're wonderful. Thank you. I think your podcast is wonderful as well, Pete. Whoa, <laughs> that's why we like having you on here, Adam. All that unasked for happiness. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Bundles of joy all around. Bundles of joy. How terrible would it be if everybody that said nice things about your podcast only said it on your podcast, so nobody that wasn't already listening to your podcast could ever hear those people say those nice well, things? Well, those are the only people who say nice things about our podcast. Oh, so okay. People who are on the podcast. Oh, oh. Well, so yeah. you've got – this is this is already happening to you. Oh, this yeah. This is the hell yeah. that you currently There were at least in. 50 people at KeeklyCon in one room that said nice things about us. Yeah, they were at our podcast. There you go. Good point. (laughs) (laughs) We appreciated that. All right. Well, um, if this is your first time listening to a regular show after GeeklyCon, because I know there's a lot more subscribers that jumped on this bandwagon, uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to talk about uh, This is Spinal Tap in depth, which means we're going to spoil the heck out of it, and uh, nothing is off the table. So... If you haven't watched the movie and it's your desire to watch the movie before we talk about it, this is your warning. All right. So, as is Let's tra- talk about it. Yes, let's talk about it. As is tradition, um, Adam, do you want to do the summary, you know, 5,000-foot view of uh, what happens during This is Spinal Tap? Uh, so basically, this is Spinal Tap follows the uh, a North American tour of Spinal Tap, which is this fictional band um, that was once popular, uh, you know, probably about a decade or so before the events of the movie. Uh, and they're doing their first American tour in like, I guess, six years or something. Uh, hot on the, uh, well, actually in advance of the release of their new album, Smell the Glove. 
and uh, basically it 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 turns into a, a fateful tour for them because uh, over the course of the tour they run into all sorts of problems and and issues between band members and um, eventually uh, find themselves on the outs. They you know the band disintegrates eventually and then come back together by the end of it to. Uh, to revel in their their newfound love for one another, so um, that's that's the o- broad overview, I suppose, of the of the movie. It's quite broad, quite broad, but very good. That's all you really need to know. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Everything else is just details. Well, and this is a this is a movie that lives in the details. Like the mm-hmm. the general story matters so little to the 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 comedy that happens in every individual scene you know scenes that matter nothing to the overarching story are what are some of the best parts of this movie right it's it's the moments uh the moments that take place that you know don't drive the plot forward they're just the things that are happening because of the plot right uh and just absolutely hilarity the the one thing i'd like to point out in this movie is and, and and correct me if i'm wrong this thing is basically an improv movie with very light scripting around like, here's what we want to happen in these scenes. And then they improv everything. Am I correct? Yeah. So, okay. So basically what they did was they came up with a broad outline for what the, you know, kind of what we just described. Like here are some, here are the set pieces we're going to have things happen in. And then we're just going to just, there was no script. And that was the, that was the whole thing that was, uh, crazy and exciting about it for for all of the people that were doing it. You know, these are amazing uh, improv actors, and this is a, a a movie that if you enjoy improv, or if you want to get involved in improv, or if you uh, you know do anything where improv is part of uh, uh, of your performance, then it's something that you just can't not watch at some point to to learn um, how to just play off of other people because they they play off of each other so well. But yeah, it was like originally. Um, it was a skit. There was the, you know, they, it was, so Michael McKeon and Christopher Guest used to just play these characters and just kind of goof around as these characters, like at parties, I guess, back in the late seventies. Um, and then eventually Rob Reiner had this pilot of a show called the TV show. And they decided on the pilot, they would have them come on as their rock star alter egos and perform a song. And, even when they weren't filming, when they were just on set, on stage, they were in character. And if you've seen any of the interviews with these guys in, you know, in the years past, even they, they do their interviews in character, and they just don't drop the character at all. And it's always hilarious. And so they're just kind of playing off of each other on stage, and they're just like, you know, it's kind of a lightning in a bottle moment there. And they're like, we should really try to get something to happen with this. And just a question was the TV show canceled for being too generic? I mean, <laughs> I don't think it ever actually, like I, don't even, I don't even know if it ever made it past the pilot. I think it just, it, I don't even know anything about that show except for the fact that Spinal Tap was on uh, the pilot for it. But yeah, like the what ended up happening is uh, Chris Guest and Mike McKeon ended up creating like a little video, just like a 30 minute video of them doing these characters and it was just like set in a hotel room and it was like these two guys that were in this band and they were meeting up and they hadn't seen each other in a long time and they just played these characters and then once they had that they just started shopping it around and then at the same time rob reiner and um uh harry shearer were both trying to work on a kind of a, a mockumentary type thing based on like roadies but they you know, at this at the same time, the movie called The Roadie came out. And so they said, well, crap, we can't do that. 
and, that. and so they kind of all decided to get back together to do this thing uh, and started shopping it around. And sure enough, they, uh, they, it got picked up. And I don't know if they thought there would be a script for that, but that was 100% not what happened because they just walked in and, and with, uh, you know, a, a bunch of film cans and uh, a bunch of basic outlines of, of where the general story needed to go and then just recorded 30 days worth of them just goofing off and playing these characters. So when this movie gets a writing credit for Rob Reiner and then the three members of the band, uh, really, they came in with like some bare bones notes and that was that was basically it. Yeah. Well, I mean, they get a writing credit because they wrote it when they did it. You know what I mean? Writing it, writing it as they were performing it. Yeah, sure. exactly. That is excellent. And, and you can't really tell. I mean, it, it is so expertly done that um, you could think that this was all scripted if you didn't know better you know what i mean mm, yeah well i mean they they had i think over a hundred hours worth of footage that they whittled down to the first cut uh that rob reiner had of this film was seven hours long <laughs> <laughs> and it was and it was four hours of the movie and three hours of interview um, because they have those interstitial interviews that just kind of happen throughout, which have some of the best lines in them as well. They do. Um, You'd watch it all, wouldn't you, Adam? I or would. I you? would. That's the thing. Yeah. I have watched. Uh, I've watched the movie probably over a hundred times. I have watched it with the commentary on probably uh, more than half that many times. Because anytime I watch it anymore, I watch it with the director or the. I guess it's not a director's commentary because Reiner's not on there, but it's the audio commentary on the DVD has Chris Guest and Michael McKeon and uh, Harry Shearer playing their characters. So they do a commentary in character as the guys from Spinal Tap, and they just shit all over the movie through the whole commentary because they think it just paints such a terrible picture of them as a band, and it was all exploitative. And and so they just complain through the whole thing, and it's – hilarious and then Wh when was that when was that recorded it sounded like it might have been the the 90s perhaps yeah it was it, well it was later i remember because uh, i remember i got that dvd probably yeah probably in the late 90s um they made, they made a sixth sense joke and they made a 12 monkeys joke and that's when i started to wonder when exactly it, it had happened so yeah it might have i don't know they did the um it might have been like the uh, like a 15 year thing or it might have I don't, okay, I, okay. I don't know for certain. But then hmm. the other the other thing about that DVD is there's like two hours worth of those deleted scenes on there. So you've got basically a whole nother. I mean, the movie itself is an hour, 22 minutes. And then there's like over two hours of deleted scenes in there. And so all told, you get like more than three hours, three and a, almost three and a half hours, I think, of total movie content. And that's the only way I'll watch it now. It's like I'm not just going to watch the movie. I'm going to watch the movie with the audio commentary on, and then I'm going to watch the, t the two hours of deleted footage after that. What I, what I liked, I, so the first time that I saw Spinal Tap was like several years ago, um, and I didn't watch it since. I didn't get a ton out of it because I think I was only half paying attention, which was a mistake because I've noticed now I've watched it three more times for this show, and every time I watch it, I noticed something else, you know, something in the background, something that was placed, uh, something that was, I didn't even notice that they all had cold sores in the one scene until, 
<laughs> well, there's so much visual and and verbal information coming at you in this movie. It's one of those ones you could watch over, well, you know, Adam, a hundred times and still get something out of it. Yeah, I, and I think that I think part of it is um, there. There, I think it means a lot to a lot of different groups of people. Like if you ever listen to like musicians talk about this movie, especially people in heavy metal or hard rock, um, it's like. It's it's one of those movies that they have a hard time watching. A lot of people, like I've watched uh, Slash's uh, like uh, like they asked Slash they've asked Slash about it or they've asked Ozzy about it and they've they've asked you know all of these people about it and the the common refrain tends to be that's a hard movie to watch because it makes me feel like an idiot because like that's the stuff that actually happens that's <laughs> not a joke it really happens you know <laughs> D Snyder talked about a time that he. Uh, got completely lost on the way to the stage and ended up on a different stage because he was in some building that had like a coliseum on one side and like uh, a concert hall on the other side and he just got twisted around and he walks out on this stage into this massive coliseum that's completely empty but he's <laughs> hearing the music going and so you know he, he ended up having his roadie <laughs> came out thing. and pulled him to the right place but you know i think it means a lot to to people in the music industry and then you look at people that you know that like improv um, or actors, and I think it means a lot to them too, because just the the concept of this of this 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 movie that is just made up on the spot and is done so flawlessly, um, I, I think it's it, it's shockingly impressive. I'm I'm always really really impressed with shows where you hear the actors were just given a direction instead of a script and they go with it. I think um, Arrested Development is like that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kind of just an ad-libbed, you know, a very, very talented people getting together and doing an organic ad-lib uh, conversation with each other. Yeah, and the talent level of the the people in this movie astounds me just because, I mean, the, so Christopher Guest, Michael McKeon, and Harry Shearer are all playing their own instruments. They're all singing those songs. They wrote those songs with Rob Reiner. Like, nobody wrote any of and that they music rock. for them. And yeah, so I mean, they are cheesy, they are goofy, they are so tongue in cheek, but they could have come out in that era as you know a, an actual heavy metal band and right. and and got airtime. That was, I mean, it was it, it is on par with a lot of the music that was there in that in that genre in that era. The bigger the cushion, the sweeter the pushing. <laughs> No, but those songs are all kind of like parodies of real songs, which is why they sound well. You know, they're written in the style mm, of yeah. of other songs. I think that one's supposed to be Fat Bottom Girls. They do like a Rush type number. Uh, they sound like Sabbath for a while. Sticks, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think the one of my one of my favorite was uh, when they were the the Timsmen and they have Give Me Some Money. <laughs> yeah, that that's one of my favorite. That's and it sounds one. like I mean, but it sounds like early The Who, you know. Right. That's been stuck in our heads for a couple of days now. Uh, my wife and I would just start singing it again. And I'm sorry. I'm singing Give Me Some Money again. Oh, it's sorry. such a good song. I love that they, they there's a, lots of commitment to the gag. I mean, like all of their drummers and things have the whole like, oh, their drummers are going to die. They're going to spontaneously combust. They finally got the last one on the video. And now somebody can believe them. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you can't dust for vomit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's great lines. That's just made up in the spot. Those three guys are sitting there. And the, the fact that they like they they all go to the right place and they don't they don't talk over each other. They just know when to let the next person take the joke the next level and it's just it is it's 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 a masterclass in improv. They're yeah. They're highly skilled in acting in in that particular way. Yeah. 
And this movie's also like a who's who of guest stars. I mean, you have obviously the main cast, but then you have like Billy Crystal, um, Fran Drescher. Dana Carvey and uh, Billy Crystal were the two mime waiters. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Fred Willard, who's going to prominently be in a bunch of other Christopher Guest movies uh, later on the line. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who else? I it took me a while, but the uh, promoter in Chicago with the comb over, that's uh, Paul Schaefer. It's Paul Schaefer. Yeah, Angelica Houston was in there. Um, was she? Yeah. Yep. Was she the cop with the, with the pickle? I mean, the, the cucumber scene or that's no? In the, I think that's in the deleted scenes. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, but then, like uh, Bruno Kirby was the the uh, the driver, and he's the guy that you may remember oh, from sure. like City Slickers. And yes. um, yep. Ed Begley Jr. was uh, Stumpy Peeps, one of their drummers. Yeah, and and a, a number of the people in this movie, not all of them, uh, but but many of them went on to be in other Christopher Guest movies too. I know uh, 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 Ed Begley Jr. showed up in A Mighty Wind and, uh, of course, Fred Willard, like you said, Mike, and in many others. And I was just looking for some of the others. Like, maybe they're hidden in there somewhere. But uh, people like Eugene Levy and whatnot, I didn't yeah. see him. But I mean, it's it's strange to me, like, the span that happened there because, like, Spinal Tap was 84, but then Waiting for Guffman, which was, if I'm not mistaken, like, the first, like... Christopher Guest, we're going to make all this shit up as we go along movie after that was not till like 96. So that's like a dozen years where, you know, like everybody was off doing other stuff besides this. And then they came back to it and then just midnight or I guess late 90s, early 2000s just knocked, you know, movie after movie out of the park, in my opinion, with some of this. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't know that they ever really got back to, to where Spinal Tap was, but they came pretty close a few times. Those are really funny movies. We should definitely talk about those more. But um, circling back to Spinal Tap for just a moment, uh, there's a number of really iconic things in this movie that people who haven't seen Spinal Tap will probably recall. And I I had a a, a mental list of a few of them, and I don't want to reach for the low-hanging fruit first, but... um, but I'm gonna. It's the amp that goes up to 11. So, so many people 11. say turn it up to 11 uh, all the time, and um, and they may not know that they're referencing this movie, Spinal Tap. Did you know that uh, the only movie on IMDb that is rated out of 11 stars is This Is Spinal Tap? <laughs> no it kidding. is rated 8 out of 11 stars. <laughs> That's great. I I like it in the commentary track how they're doing that scene where these amps go up to eleven and they were th- they were saying on the commentary God we should have trademarked this because so <laughs> many people stole it and we would have been millionaires yeah uh, Stonehenge I think is probably a moment that even if you haven't seen the the movie you may have heard of that moment where they um, they have this concert and the the model of Stonehenge comes is lowered down onto the stage and it's supposed to be this like massive imposing uh like pillar uh of Stonehenge and it's like 2 foot tall or something like that just because the <laughs> the diagram was mislabeled yeah he labeled it as 18 inches and he meant 18 feet he meant 18, 18 feet, feet. <laughs> yeah completely wrong <laughs> well, this is it this is what you get we have, a, we have a Stonehenge that is at risk of being trampled by a dwarf. It was fun to see them go back. Um, oh, jeez. Donald Sutherland was in this movie, too. Really? I didn't even see him. Well, I mean, uh, obviously, uh, a lot of the actors went on to be super famous outside of this, but uh, um, 
J.K. Rowling cited Spinal Tap series of drummers as inspiration for the Harry Potter series. Uh, basically, this is why the defense of the dark arts teachers always die, is because of the Spinal Tap drummers. There you go. See, it's influenced so many people. Um, when I think of this movie, I actually, uh, my mind goes, first of all, I, I should mention that this is definitely not my first um, Christopher Guest movie that I saw. In fact, I was introduced to it, uh, him through Best in Show, and I watched a few other of his movies before this one. So this wasn't like, this isn't like the anchor of Christopher Guest in my mind. But uh, when I think about this movie, I, I was immediately reminded of, I don't know if any of you have seen The Ruddles. It was a 1977 um, Eric Idle and, uh, and Saturday Night Live co-production about a group of rockers that's just like the Beatles. Mm -hmm. um, in many, many ways, well, first of all, that was just a straight-up parody of the Beatles. But in many ways, Spinal Tap themselves is a, a parody of the Beatles or else... They just can go down that same path that so many bands do with the uh, clashing creative minds that eventually break up. And there's a Yoko Ono in there and all of that. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a tale as old as time, but funny, you know, as far as like how, how bands go. And, you know, if you didn't, if you weren't really, and this is where I think what, what Adam says rings true with, with musicians is like, uh, if you weren't really thinking about it being a funny thing, you could watch it, and if you didn't have a funny bone in your body, probably just think that this was like a, a serious subject. You know what I mean? It, it's one of those oh. movies that works on those different levels for different. I think people. there was a lot of confusion at the time that it came out. Like I've watched interviews with Rob Reiner where he said people would come up to him and be like, "Why in the world?" Would you make a documentary about a band that nobody's ever heard of before? Why would you make a document? Why wouldn't you make a documentary about a good band? <laughs> why, wouldn't you, why wouldn't you follow around the Rolling Stones or the Beatles? And he said, "Well, you know, we have those documentaries already, and also this is satire." You know, um, kind of reminds me of something they said in the commentary track again, where they show so many scenes of things going wrong for Spinal Tap, the pod not opening, you mm -hmm. know, that kind of thing, that kind of thing, and they always and they're saying in there. A number of times. Why couldn't have they? Sh why couldn't they have showed it the ninety-nine times that the pod did right. open correctly? Or yeah. why couldn't they have showed the night or the book signing where you know a hundred screaming fans showed up or something like that? Because we don't want to see that. We want to see the, the flubs. We want to see the funny stuff. And I love the fact that it's like it's 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 presented as a it's this was all a hit job on us. You know, right. And I loved in the commentary track how they're all like, "Oh, that guy, he's dead now. That guy, he's dead now. Yep, he's dead. She's dead." <laughs> yeah anybody who somehow directly or indirectly associates with spinal tap gets dead <laughs> uh one of my one of my favorite parts uh that uh see i watched this movie i didn't watch this movie when it came out i was four years old when this movie came out but <laughs> right. i watched it uh you know when i was an old enough of an age to to watch it and i i remember when they got the uh the reworked album art for smell the glove <laughs> which is just an all black album uh which was was humorous because it was presented like when when the you know the record label did not like the original art for smell the glove because it was very sexist uh, which they uh didn't understand why uh, an album can't be sexy and so that caused a, a big it's uh, like sexist not sexy <laughs> sexist so that caused a whole bunch of consternation but it was presented as as like uh so Fran Drescher's character Bobby Fleckman says you know you can't convince me that a sexy album sells. Uh, what was on the white album? There was nothing on that album. And so later it comes around and they reveal this new album cover that the 
that the studio has been working on and it's just an all black cover. Um, and I remember watching that as, as a child and going like, Oh, well, I guess I wasn't really a child by that point. I was probably a teenager, but I remembered, uh, well, okay. This was after Metallica's self-titled album came out. That was again, same situation, all black. But Metallica's uh, album didn't come out until 1991. So it's gotta be the other way around. It was, well, no. Yeah. I, I, I saw it. I saw it after Metallica's oh, album, okay, gotcha, I gotcha. but it, but I realized that the point I was like, okay, well now I see where they got it from. And it's funny because like they, like it would have been enough if that was the joke, if they make these jokes about this all black album and it's just like, you know, how much blacker could it be? You know, the answer is none, none blacker. Like that's, that's funny <laughs> in and of itself. And then they have a fucking record signing where they're sitting there with Sharpie pens trying to write <laughs> on the cover of this all black album. And then the people that do show up, like the one guy that shows up for it, he's like, did you sign this? <laughs> that's hilarious to me. Very subtle humor that you'd you'd have to watch it several times perhaps to notice. Well, see, I think the my favorite line in the movie because I think it's the most um, I think from a meta from a meta sense it is like the most self aware line in the entire movie is that there's such a thin line between stupid and clever. That is a line when they're talking about like it's I mean it, it all it all goes back to their album art and. The studio was down on their album art, and then this other guy named Duke Silver. They meet him at the at the um, at the hotel they're staying at, and they talk to their manager, and they're like, "Did you see his album art?" And you know, his album art is him with a bunch of scantily clad women, and they've all got whips and chains, and he's tied to a bed. And the manager says, "Well, yeah, but he was the he was the victim there. You know, if it's if it's mm-hmm. done to the to the artist, it's okay. If it's done to the woman, that's the problem." And the response from Nigel at that point is is that line. It's like there's just it's it's such a such a thin line between stupid and clever. And that is a hundred percent what I feel about this movie is that it on the surface looks. So stupid. And the jokes, a lot of the jokes are, and the people are so stupid, but it's so cleverly done that it creates this little fake world for these characters that is believable enough um, and just hilarious. In so it's the line that's always stuck out to me in that movie. And what I, what I like about it is that not only is it funny, not only is it clever, but you, it, they actually do it in a way where you actually um, you feel something for these characters. I mean, you actually understand, you feel the plight that their band is going through and uh, how they're being torn apart and get put back together. So at the end of the movie, you are cheering for when they come back together and, you know, find out they're huge in Japan. I think I was listening to an interview with, um, it wasn't Chris Guest, it was uh, Michael McKeon. And he was talking about, he was promoting uh, Better Call Saul on something, which he's on. And he was talking about um, uh, loving to go out as Spinal Tap because the thing that he loved about the movie was that not only did he get to do all this you know, funny stuff with his friends and it was a successful movie and stuff like that, but that he actually got to, be, they got to become Spinal Tap and now they're still touring every once in a while as Spinal Tap. And if you look on, you know, Spinal Tap is now listed as a band. You can you know, see their discography. You know, things came out since uh, the movie came out where they're continuing to do this wonderful um, funny music so and that just shows what a phenomenon it is you know that's it's uh, well it's a, a movie that's still much beloved decades later it's a live show you know it's it's very influential in many ways i mean the movie itself is uh 
I mean, it's in the, I mean, it's in the national film registry. Like it's no joke. Like, so I, I think it, it, it definitely means a, a lot to a lot of different people, but then, yeah, just, I think one of the cool things about that situation is like, they stay in character so well that, you know, that like dozens and dozens of times they've gone and they've done interviews with people who maybe don't really know a whole lot about like, or at least probably more so like back then than now that didn't really know what that whole gig was about, that they had to get through that interview with a person that maybe didn't know they were in character, you know, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. funny to me. It's funny to see like, um, you know, see how far they can push it, how far they can push the absurdity before somebody realizes, Oh, well, this is an act. This is a, this is a game. Like, it's really a, a wonderful movie. And it it's, I think not only considered one of Christopher Guest's best movies, if not the very best, Adam, I'm sure you have opinions about that, but uh, probably like the example of the mockumentary uh, uh, genre in general. And there, there's it's it's like Christopher Guest is kind of like Weird Al and that Weird Al is one of the only acts doing like parody successfully. Um, I can't think of another mockumentary artist besides christopher guest actually uh yeah i mean because he kind of he kind of stays in that wheelhouse i think more than anything else i mean a lot of people would if if they pointed to like the start of mockumentaries they would point to spinal tap and say like this is kind of like where it all began um woody allen was doing it like long before uh this came out but you know woody allen then did a whole bunch of other stuff that was not in this style so sure sure and then there was, of course, the Ruddles, which I mentioned earlier, but that was a very one-off type of a thing. So, I mean, I think this was one of the first that was so uh, so big. And, I mean, I guess it wasn't huge when it was released, but it got a following pretty fast. And I think, uh, you know, you'll you'll listen to, to the interviews and, the, like, rock stars will tell them all the time. It's like, you know, we had we had to keep replacing this V this like VHS tape of this movie on our tour bus. Cause it basically got played constantly by mm-hmm. the band on tour. Like or right out. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell the same, the same thing, like just uh, the public in general likes this movie. I remember, um, you know, I worked at a target in the early two thousands and, uh, I remember this movie, like other movies would come and go off the shelves and they'd always be, you know, um, you know, changing out their selection, but there was always a DVD copy of this is Spinal Tap for sale at Target somewhere, you know, and uh, and you'd have to fill it every once in a while because people would just be like, oh, yes, I have to own this is Spinal Tap. You know, it was, it was a slow but constant burn. Yeah, I don't have a lot of DVDs anymore. I mean, I used to I used to have a ton of them. And then I got to the point where, you know, everything's digital. I don't really keep a lot of discs in the house anymore. I sold them all off at, you know, garage sales over the years and stuff like that. I have maybe five DVDs right now, but This is Spinal Tap is one of them that I will always have. Adam, when we got together for the uh, Gremlins episode a few years ago, we had uh, talked a little bit after the, the, oh God, the tape stopped rolling. That's not how it works these days, but you know what I mean. <laughs> you didn't do uh, yours on tape? I did mine on tape. <laughs> no, no. Real to real. told me to stop. That episode demonstrated that I, I did mine on tape. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we had talked about what, uh, you know, just Christopher Guest in general and what and what, what he means uh, to us uh, that, that maybe made it sound a little crazy. But we're, we're fans, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that while 
this is Spinal Tap is the best known of his canon and uh, excellent example of what he uh, what he's done. I I feel like in many of his other films he's managed to pr- pretty well capture the style of humor at least and the excitement it generates in the audience. Um, it may not be as notable, but movies such as uh, Best in Show and A Mighty Wind, I know. Uh, uh, others have considered those either their favorite Christopher Guest films or among their favorite Christopher Guest films. And uh, just what do you think about some of those other films? Yeah, so um, I've seen almost all of I did, I've never seen For Your Consideration, uh, and I've heard that it's not nearly as good. And that is one where it's uh, a bunch of actors in a very small film that it, are all of a sudden, there's a rumor going around that they're getting... Um, like that they're potentially getting some notice on like the Academy Awards circuit, like that, that their little tiny little movie might be getting like an Academy Award or something. So, yeah, um, that was a, that was a 2006 film. And I remember seeing that one. Uh, it has all of the usual characters. I, I don't think he deviates from his cast of characters very often. Yeah. But um, I, I believe that might be his, is that maybe his last big one after well, except uh, a mighty for, wind? Yeah, I mean, except for the one he did for Netflix because he did one for Netflix called Mascots. Oh, I don't think I saw that one. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's recent. It might have been with. It's within the last couple of years here, um, and he re. I don't. He, I. I haven't actually seen it all the way through. I don't think I watched part of it and then for some reason didn't finish it. But I think he re. Uh, he plays again his character from Waiting for Guffman, which was Corky St. Clair or something like that. Sure, sure. Okay, so long okay. story short on on the ones I have seen uh, plenty of times. Uh, Best in Show is my second favorite probably. Um, between it and A Mighty Wind, it's, it's, it's tough to pick at times because I think those are both outstanding movies. Um, and Waiting for Guffman is very good as well. Uh, I think once he got in with, uh, like w- once he had done a few films with that cast of characters with like, you know, Catherine O'Hara and, uh, Eugene Levy and Parker Posey and these people that he, Jane uh, Lynch. And, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah. I, I think that that chemistry, um, shows in particularly in best in show and a mighty wind. Um, a mighty wind is is interesting to me because this is Spinal Tap. Those guys have a a, a different band in that movie, right? Because they're a, they're a folk band in that movie. It's the same guys mm-hmm. um, from this movie playing a different band. So they actually one time I think it was when they did the 25th anniversary in 2009. They played a concert where they played as and I don't remember what the name of their band was in A Mighty Wind, but they played a, a concert where they played half of it. They were as the that band. The, the Folksman, that's what yeah. it was. Uh, so they played half of it with as as them, and then it played the other half as Spinal Tap. <laughs> that would have been a great show to see. Because I, I did watch uh, Mighty Wind actually for the first time uh, in preparation for this, because I, I, I believe A Mighty Wind might be um, my wife's favorite of, of his movies. And it was just really funny to get the, get the perspective of them essentially playing the same band, only, you know, instead of a washed-up rock band, a washed-up folk band. We, it was just really funny. Those are yeah. those are good movies, and that one, I believe, had a lot of emotional uh, emotional writing attached to it. It seemed like a, a, a project from the heart for guests. Yeah, think. I remember we were talking about that at GeeklyCon. We were 
outside the live show venue and we were sitting out there and you were saying you hadn't seen a mighty wind yet so you must have seen it like in the last couple of weeks right yeah it was just days ago and i was trying to explain like that concept of you know well you know they all do have a little like you know you get a little bit of that um like the the motivation of the characters and how the characters connect to each other and there's a little bit of of heart in all of his movies uh in in the way that we feel about these characters um you know it's hard not to love some of the characters in best of show for instance but then this one uh, mighty wind i thought had the most actual emotional gravity between the characters and I thought that was that was intriguing and interesting and something uh, uh, was it's one of those things in 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 a, a Christopher Guest movie. I expect them to lead you right up to the point of emotional gravity and then make the joke that releases it. And mm-hmm. in a mighty win, they don't do that. They take you there and then they leave you there and then they just let it resolve on its own. And I think that was uh, surprising when I watched it that it, it kind of caught me off guard in the fact that it does uh, have a little bit more emotional weight than, than his other movies. But yeah, I mean, this is spinal tap is my favorite Christopher guest movie. It is my favorite um, comedy movie. It is in the top three movies uh, of all time for me. So yeah, uh, there's not probably going to be another Christopher guest movie that topples it. Is that tainted by nostalgia in some points? Probably, but I will say that, for my, you know, the parts that are keeping it so high, the nostalgic bits that are keeping it so high in, in my eyes, uh, there might be a middle ground between that and, you know, a new set of eyes that sees this movie now that might not, maybe don't doesn't get the same bit, not because they didn't see it so long ago, but because so much of this movie has become part of, of everything that we that we watch now, like, you know the jokes from this movie and, and some of the stuff that's that's done in this movie has been ripped off so many times i guess in the in, since you know 84 that it almost doesn't feel new uh to a new set of eyes because it's it's familiar because even if you haven't watched it you've been exposed to the culture that it's inspired but there's something to culture that is a uh, uh this is where that came from um thing i mean i've i've seen it in in lots of other mediums even you know, movies, obviously, uh, video games where, you know, people are going black and back and playing the ones that are considered seminal and, and saying, oh, yeah, that's where that came from. And there's a ton of that in uh, This Is Spinal Tap where people are that have never seen it before, that have only seen newer things, are going to go back and go, oh, I see. This is the original. Yeah, I agree with you, Mike. They were the duplicates, you know. Absolutely. It's the same feeling I got when we watched uh, Godfather a few months ago when I was just like, I'd never seen it. And it's like, oh, like every square inch of this movie has been parodied a thousand times in popular culture. And it's just so exciting to see where it where came it from. from. That's the yeah. same thing with with this movie. I think it it, it would be good for new audiences and uh, revisiting audiences at the same time. We're really cranking on the love fest. You can tell there's going to be a lot of not sacred votes here. <laughs> well, we'll have to do that at the end. But uh, so what what would you be critical about uh, in this movie? What things would you uh, not like as much since we're pretty much all here in a love fest right now? I will say that there are – so it it was – okay, so it's a product of its times in certain ways um, – and the there there are problematic um, 
issues with associated with heavy metal music in the eighties, uh, and its treatment of women and, um, all of that stuff. And there was, a, so there was, a, there's a significant amount of sexism in the movie that is played for laughs because the guys that are doing it are so stupid and not, uh, you know, I, I don't, th- I don't think that's an apology for it, but I think that it doesn't, it's not, a, it's not successful in whatever it's intending at any w- given moment. And it always falls flat and blows up in, in, in that person's face. So I don't know. It's, it's, a, but it's a fine line there. I think that at, in, in a modern day viewing of it, um, there's probably plenty of parts of it where you're like, okay, well, that's a little overboard with the sexism. I don't know if I'd let that scare you, though, because this is a you can watch movies from the 70s and 80s that just, you know, they say things that just make you blink like, what the hell? You know, this is absolutely inappropriate for this day and age. And and this is, I I think, a much softer touch on some of those those items there. I mean, nothing, nothing truly reprehensible. And I think that I think it's coming from a place of understanding that that's that parodies the sexism itself. I don't think it's sexist for uh for the the idea of titillation or for exploitative reasons i think it is sexist in the way that that time period of our history and that bit of our musical uh like backlog there is is sex was was very mm-hmm. sexist in and of itself and so it's not though it's played for laughs it's played for laughs at the expense of sexism instead of at the expense of those that are the victims of sexism. The victims, sure. So I think in that respect, uh, it, it holds up better than a lot of that stuff that you're talking about. Because I do think that, um, you know, the quote-unquote writers of this content uh, have their minds in the right place about all of that. Um, but it's just still something to watch out for, I guess. I, I felt like uh, sometimes that uh, there there's a lot of... Um, and this is not a reflection necessarily of the uh, movie itself. It's just a reflection of how modern uh, movies have trained us poorly, I suppose. Uh, pacing. The pacing. There's sometimes where the pacing is there's a lot of uh, you know, downtime be- between you know, when, when somebody says something and then a character realizes something. Or sometimes just awkward silence and things like that where like, in a comedy movie, this is, this is, more, uh, this is a lot lower key. Than, than uh, modern audiences are used to. Not I'm saying that that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm saying maybe our current um, movie bombacity of comedy is maybe the bad thing. If there's one thing Christopher Guest got better at in his career, I think it was really timing the punchlines of the jokes, the situational comedy, comedy uh, and really just kind of making it quicker, I think, so you're getting hit with more funny faster. Uh, that being said, Spinal Tap still <laughs> the love fest continues for me. Uh, I think it's well timed and maybe a little bit slow, but anything post nineteen eighty or pre nineteen eighty five feels kind of slow sometimes, and that's an arbitrary date. Yeah, I think the nice thing about the way I mean, yeah, I will agree with you. And this is this is a movie that I always like. I chill, I like I grab a snack. Like I'm just gonna kind of like chill out on the couch, watch the movie. I might do something else while I'm watching it, like, um, and that's okay because there are these musical numbers that pop up throughout where they will play like 15 to 20 seconds of a song because they're you know performing at some at some venue or something, and it just I think that it, those act as like uh, like mile markers along the way for me, and so I know 
kind of where I'm at. And it, it, depending on the song, it refocuses me back in and I'm like, okay, okay, this is the part where, uh, where, he, you know, he's going to get stuck in the pot or this is the part where, um, you know, they're going to start slapping his butt with a, uh, a, a bass guitar, like, <laughs> and, and it re it re like brings me back into it. So yeah, it's, 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 but it's so I think it's so uh interesting of uh like uh, a clash between the bomb like the bombastic nature of these performances and the neon and the spandex and the pyrotechnics and stuff that's going on in the in, in their performances you know balanced against the behind the scenes stuff which is just the drudgery that we all have to deal with mm -hmm. in our day-to-day -day jobs of people being idiots and people not understanding what we need or, you know, it's, I think it's, that's, that, that the dichotomy is interesting enough for that. I kind of forgive some of the pacing issues with it because I think it, it tells an interesting story in and of itself. If they remade this movie, it'd be terrible. Oh God. It's, it's good. That just the way it is, <laughs> they'd do too much. They'd do too much to try and correct all of those little things. And it, it, it'd just, be horrible. I feel like it'd have to be scripted because I don't know if there's an improv group of people that is famous enough that I, I think would be right for it and, and play it right. They just shouldn't even consider it. No. No, it, it, it's fun. It's fun considering that, you know, again, the last Spinal Tap tour was 2009. That's okay. It's almost 10 years ago now, but who knows? They could pop up and do something else. You know, that's how they roll. So, for sure, it's a good movie to watch. Now, it's not dated terribly. Okay, just don't look at the hair or the pants or anything like that. But the you the have to look at the not pants, it's, guys. It's funny. I mean, come on. It still it still rings true today. And I mean, they they're still making movies about that era of music. Like you know, they're they're still making movies with spandex and big hair that are modern movies. You know, just talking about that time in. Uh, and so I, I think that aspect of it, like the fact that it is so obviously built in that 80s uh, glam metal genre, I think it 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 makes it stay fresh because it, that's such an iconic um, like look to our brains, I think. Mm -hmm. It's not like the kids won't have seen that kind of thing before. Yeah, they all watch lead. They all, they all or they all watch Def Leppard videos nowadays, right? <laughs> well i think with that um we if you guys are ready let's uh let's do our little vote then okay adam as the guest you get to decide if you want to go first or wait do you think this is sacred bovinus sanctorum or that it should be put out to pasture bovinus excommunicado Right, I'll go first because it's not a huge surprise since I have already said it's my favorite comedy movie of all time. Uh, I think it is uh, absolutely sacred. Uh, it is, like I said, the best comedy movie of all time. It is the best acting class you can get on a, a videotape uh, that will tell you like everything you need to know about how to play off of other people and how to say yes to the to the goof and go along with it and bring something else to it um uh yeah absolutely sacred uh peter do you want to go next um yeah i was just kidding i think it's sacred too you don't just have to take my word for it i mean the whole music industry thinks this one is sacred it shines a light on their industry in a 
uh, playful, loving, and sometimes heartbreaking for the artists themselves ways because they can see what a bunch of buffoons they themselves actually are. Um, I, I didn't look at the ratings on this movie, but I have to assume they're very good. And, and really, like I said, it's a rewatchable movie, even despite its age. You know, it's it's I was two when it. Nope, nope. Yeah, it was too when it came out. So um, it still plays very well, like a movie of today. You know, you don't have to prep yourself for, you know, super drab dullness that you get with older movies. It's really fun. It's a good introduction to more of Christopher Guest's stuff. And I really do have to recommend all of his works because they're they're really quite fun some of them are a little less so than others but there's a lot of great stuff in there and i forgot to mention that he also made an amazon original uh series called family tree i think with uh chris o'dowd from the it crowd and also michael mckeon as his british father i think so check that one out too that's newer that's just a couple years old uh mike what do you think about the movie This Is Spinal Tap? Sacred or not sacred? I would say it's sacred. And uh, it's one of those movies that is, is uh, I think the first time I watched it, I was I thought, okay, this is funny, but I wouldn't want to watch it all the time. And then, like, now that I've watched it three more times, I think every time I've watched it, I got to like it more. And that's a rare thing for a movie. Usually when you watch it, you, you, know, you, you don't, you're like, eh, I've watched this too many times. Like I said, I watched it uh, twice through regular and then once with the commentary and, uh, for this. And, and man, it just gets better and better every time, I think. And the commentary adds so much more after you've seen it a couple of times that you just, you just you love the fact that they, they know enough about their own movie to just like play off their own jokes that they made you know, however many years ago this movie came out. Uh, and, and they make it funnier again. So, I don't know. I could see them when they're when it's like a, you know in a couple of years just you know doing like a, a commentary of the commentary of the of the movie or something crazy like that because I could see these guys being that funny to continue poking fun at this whole thing. So yes, it's sacred. <laughs> Did we have any questions, Mike? Somebody asked us about a Spinal Tap fiasco, eh. which uh, oh, Adam yeah. was good enough to tell us about. So. So yes, the question was, with all the improvisation used in the film, would you see this sort of results of recording a group playing a famous rock band in an RPG? That was sent by at Craig Hart. So I have friends that have played uh, this before. Um, so if you've ever played Fiasco, this is like the like perfect game, the perfect like scenario for a Fiasco game. Um, cause fiasco is just basically you make up scenes, uh, just kind of like they do in the, did in this movie where you just kind of make up scenes. Everybody has their characters. You can kind of step in and out of NPC roles if you want to. Uh, and then every scene kind of centers around a different character and they're trying to get something out of it. And depending on what everybody else thinks about how you did in the scene, that might work out for you or might not. But there are play sets. Uh, there's two of them. One of them is called touring rock band, uh, that is kind of built just like, uh, just like Spinal Tap, um, and then there's another one that is like a, a, supposed to be a sequel to that. Like it's it's like the I don't know, it's just the second tour or something. I don't know. It's, it's got some other catchy name to it. So there are two versions of this where one of them is I think when they are like fully popular, and then the second one, like the the sequel, 
playset for this is like if they're kind of kind of over the hill and kind of lost it like uh, like Spinal Tap has. Um, so that, I, I would 100% suggest that if you've got people that like to play Fiasco, go play that playset. If you haven't played Fiasco, it's really easy to learn. Uh, you just have to improv. That's basically it. It's all RP without the dice, you know. Matthew M. Morris wants to know uh, about the base 11 standard for audio equipment. And I believe we had a second question about that. Our own editor, Eli, uh, why 11? Why not 12? Mm. I mean, why that's the question. 13? Right? That's the question. Like, why, can you always just go one louder? That's why it's funny. You know, yeah. I think it's funny. It's funny because that's a conversation in the movie that is so steeped in like, here's a person that is trying to explain something that is ridiculous next to a straight man that is trying to explain to that person why it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And neither one of them realize that they're not going to change the other one's opinion, you know, because Nigel's there explaining that like, like one is that 11 is louder than 10. And meanwhile, Marty's there saying, well, like, couldn't you just make 10 louder and then still make it go to 10 and then you just play it at nine. And then if you need the extra boom, you'd pump it up to 10 and he's like, but this one goes to 11, you know? Right. <laughs> there will forever be two schools of thought on this. People who just want to keep incrementing the numbers and people who want to make the highest number higher, basically. I'm almost a hundred percent certain you could buy a Marshall amp that goes to 11 these days. I bet. I mean, they, oh, have, I'm sure. they have to make that. And if they didn't, what a missed opportunity. All right. Uh, we have one from, um, Pete's, very own wife. Um, what other genres would you like to see get the spinal tap treatment? She's at dirty MM eight six. That's Ashley. Hi dear. Um, geez. Well, they did cover so many genres already. Mostly, mostly, um, show business, uh, genres, I think actually all show business genres, not all show business. I no. think that there needs to be a, uh, I think there needs to be a podcasting based mockumentary because the, I think the thing that is so interesting about, you know, Spinal Tap was its own thing that, you know, these are actual celebrities, you know, these are actual celebrities, even though they're in like the decline of their, of their careers. And that's what makes it funny. I think Christopher Guest realized that people taking something that from the outside looks, uh, looks silly or it looks like kind of pointless and making it the center of, a group of people's world that it is the most important thing to them. And that in that world, they mean something to it. Uh, I think that is kind of what makes it work. I think that's what makes best in show work because all of these dog trainers are so serious about their dogs and these other dogs. And from the, the outside the world, perspective, yeah, it's so the it's world so, of folk music. Yeah, just exactly. So folk nobody music. thinks about folk music, but uh, yeah, like in mascots, people, it's, this, it's the same type of thing. It's like, it's, it's centered around something that from the outside the, we are playing the outside viewer of this of of this world that is to our eyes like just so strange that people are this into this thing but that's what makes it exciting it's what makes it interesting because you kind of get you pick up their passion for it you know you start to develop that same level of interest in in these these weird things that you don't really have much interest i don't I, i've never watched a dog show in my life but you know if i watch best in show and then if i turned it off and then like flipped a channel or something and there's a dog show on i might actually watch it like just mm -hmm. because it 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 builds 
an interest in the subject in you because the people in this are so interested and so in, in, in like raptured with their world. And I think podcasting is kind of similar where it's like, if you talk to anybody on the street and you say, okay, well, you know, oh, I've got a podcast. They're like, oh yeah, okay. You know, they don't really get it or they don't listen to podcasts. It doesn't really mean anything to them. But then, uh, you know, people that do it or people that, you know, listen to podcasts, it's, it's very different. I think then there's a lot more excitement that goes with that. And we kind of, are an echo chamber for ourselves in the same way that like the folk musician community would be, or the same way that, um, you know, a, a small town. Yeah. It's like a small town, uh, like group of actors would be, you know, it's that same, same get excited about each other and get excited about what we're doing. Even if the rest of the world isn't, I think that is the formula for like picking what, genre works for this type of a movie that that would be very interesting i mean especially you know considering like uh at what point in the podcaster's uh, career would you base this on you know like just the people sitting down in their basement and, and starting for the first time and making mistakes or would you do it on somebody who's uh you know mid-level or you know crazy like a McElroy level you know you'd show a number of different groups and people doing it at the different levels which is kind of how a lot of the well you know thinking of uh, a mighty wind as the example there's the old timers there's the new hip uh hip group and that kind of thing so you know it's just people at all points a lot of his later movies kind of focus around that big event and everybody getting ready for this big event and all of these people of all these different walks of life that are all being brought together by this thing, right? Whether it be the dog show or the folk concert or, you know, this play or whatever it is, right? So I think that, yeah, if you did it with, with podcasting, it would have to be built around something that is getting people together. Something like a big podcasting, like, you know, they, they have that big podcasting thing out in California or whatever it was. Yeah, Podfest or something like that. And yeah. Uh, it's centered around something like that, some big festival or something like that, where it's like, you know, you've got people that have been, that are like, like the main stars and the people that are like the, the big in the, like big wigs in it. And they kind of walk around like they own the joint, even though like they're, I mean, they're really just podcasters. Right. So right. Like, to us from the, like the outside audience, it would be like, Oh, this is kind of like weird. And then there'd be like the new guy that like just came across like the cool idea that is like all of a sudden getting a lot more listens. And so he got invited, but you know, it's for some weird reason. And you'd have to stand up where uh, basically, Oh, he's just using it to uh, get people out to his show. He doesn't really care about it, you know, or somebody would be invited because their podcast name sounds like a different podcast's name. And they were too, they were too embarrassed (laughs) to rescind the invitation. All right. Uh, And that is all the questions we have. All right. Good questions. Thank you for coming on again, Adam. Yeah, it was great. It, we'll, we'll have to make it not so long between visits next time. Yeah. I agree. Maybe you could be on the panel next year at GeeklyCon 2018. I I would love to do that. That would be super fun. Awesome. Sweet. Is there any other things that you'd like to tell us about what you're doing? And also, where can we find you in your many places on the internet and your shows? And some solid dates on Mythos, please. <laughs> So all of my shows are on uh, Geekly Inc. network. So you can go to geeklyinc.com, uh, and then you can find Sayer there. You can find Brute Force there, or you can just search for us in 
uh, iTunes or Stitcher or wherever. Uh, I am on Twitter. You can always follow me on Twitter at the Adam Bash. Um, I don't have anything else to promote. Uh, I was thinking about doing some repairs to the playhouse uh, that my son broke over the summer, so I might be working on that tomorrow. Uh, but I don't know if there's a way for you to follow me on that or to see the results of my good work on that playhouse. But live um, feed. <laughs> I'll periscope my repairs uh, tomorrow. <laughs> we'll tweet out the URL for you, uh, you know, after it happens. Pete, this is an unusual thing. Um, where can we find you on the Internet? The Internet. Well, I have email. Oh, shit. I got Twitter. I forgot about that. Yeah, I got Twitter. And uh, I'm trying to learn the social media ways of, of the forest and all that. But uh, what am I at? I am at... Oh, God, I knew I was going to hate myself every time I had to say this out loud, but I'm no no tweet Pete at not underscore wheat, W-E-E-T underscore Pete, and I thought it was clever when I was making it, and it's so stupid every time I have to say it, but that's what it is. All right. Drop me a line. Send me a telegram. But Mike, you've you've had a long-standing internet presence <laughs> that we'd like to hear about. <laughs> All right, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at White Morph. You can also find the Sacred Cows tonight on Twitter at Sacred Cows Pod. Uh, we also love your emails, which is Sacred Cows at HeroOfTheWeb.com. A lot of you have been sending uh, little nice notes and things like that, so we'd like to hear more of those. Uh, also, if you have a script submission for a joke. Uh, I understand some of you are interested in writing for us, uh, so that would be the same URL again, or same email address, sacredcows at heroeoftheweb.com. Finally, we love to get those five-star iTunes ratings and reviews. Thanks for listening, and go watch uh, five hours of This is Spinal Tap, and enjoy yourselves. All right, thanks. Thanks, everybody. Sacred Cows Tonight is a production of Sacred Cows Tonight. Executive producers, Mike and Pete. All sketches were performed by Mike, Pete, and Adam Bash, and were edited and produced by Pete. The sketch, Local Anesthetic, was written by Pete, Adam Bash, and Mike. The sketch, Full-Bodied Voice Guy, was written by Pete. Main portions of the episode are edited by Eli Ramsey. Want to contribute your sketch to Sacred Cows Tonight? Email us your script or proposal to sacredcows at heroeoftheweb.com. 